YouTube and I was watching for, my dad was like, hey, uh, YouTube 2050 and like see what the world looks like. And I'm like, oh no, like they're building something in like the deserts of, I think it's Nevada, Arizona area. There's like this quadrillionaire who bought land there and they're starting to build like these 15 minute cities and and they're, they're scary. They can shut you down in two seconds. Like your neighbor can say, oh, they're littering or, oh, they're using too much, I don't know, resources or they can snitch on you and you can get in trouble. Like they can just shut down your whole house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I studied that. Smart cities, right? Yes, smart yeah, cities. I studied it in grad school. Actually, I took a class on What? I, th- I think we should have a podcast. Otherwise, we're going to talk over everything. We are. We're already going. It started. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. I'm like, you to tell me these things, Cassie. Yeah, no, I, um, I did uh, a master's at the University of Toronto. Yeah. And I studied sociology. And Oh, my God. I want to hear about smart cities. Okay. Uh, Introduce yourself first. Tell us who you okay. are. <laughs> right. So I'll back up now that I know I'm on the air. My name's Nicole Horton. And... Um, I'm a mom and a business owner. I started a business teaching um, private Spanish classes, and I also recently started an educational nonprofit for home educating families. And academically, um, I did a like I was saying, I did a master's at the University of Toronto in sociology, and. I took some like sociology of criminology type courses mm-hmm. and so along that I was um, <laughs> taking some classes that were actually cross-listed as like legal or law courses Okay. Um, and they were looking at um, I guess the roots of our modern day justice system so where those ideas came from that led to the modern day a prison system and beyond our courts and judges and all of that so we looked at things like um you know we analyzed disney's security system and talked Shut about up. smart cities and like really big data collection and yeah yeah and then i <laughs> it's so well you know what's crazy is some people think that smart cities it's like a conspiracy thing and i'm like no it's not it's not it's a futuristic thing it's something that's actually in the works like it's not a secret yeah yeah it's it's now the future is now yes <laughs> yeah technology has just jetted us right there so right. Yeah. yeah um for better or worse did you so... learn anything about the smart cities that could be negative well, yeah, um, I, the sociology department's general at, at the University of Toronto, their orientation seemed to be towards concern about um, the power that comes with absolute data collection that's happening um, on such a multifaceted scale. Mm. But in smart cities specifically, it's so absolute. So, like, they were talking about how you could go for a jog and as you ran down the street like the lights would sense you and turn on so there's pros and cons to that right like there's a safety side Mm -hmm. um and in fact there's been this conversation in this country that's been going on for years about this um tension between safety and security Mm. and right to privacy right Mm, and um safety and security security seems to be winning out and um a cost to that is that all of this information about us is now available to corporations and the government and um, researchers. Uh, Yeah, and so there's definitely, there was a sense of unease in my sociology department about the, right, like it's, it's to the point where they have absolute data about you, like they know when you wake up, 
uh, right. when you go to the store, where you go, when you go jogging, how often you exercise, you know, yeah, yeah. like literally everything, everything. When yeah, you're pooing, who you yeah. talk to, when your friends are doing all of those things, you know, what yeah. your preferences are, when you crave things, like everything that like your, I don't know, your concerns, if you Google them or talk about them, yeah. you know, every little thing about you, they know. Yeah. And right? why does that concern people? Um, Well, I, I think there's there's multiple levels to that. I also I took this course like a couple of years ago, but you know, um, one of the things is you know there was this whole idea about like there was this company, I can't remember the name of it that actually went and used, um, fa- it was Russian and it used Facebook data supposedly to like influence our elections. Mm. Right. Um, so you could think about like uh, foreign influence. Um, but even it, it doesn't even have to be foreign. Right. Like what if politicians get a hold of that data and then they have, you know, insights about us to manipulate us in different ways on levels that we don't think about. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and I like I think I, I think that we're more impressionable than most people realize who haven't studied it. Oh, yes. You know? Yeah, we are. Like, there's Definitely. all of this, like, psychology and, like, a long time ago I heard that there were studies about how, like, red and yellow made you more hungry. And so you think about McDonald's and the advertising. Yeah. And that's the type of stuff that's beneath our level of awareness. Yes. But there's all of this, like, capacity for research um, that is aimed at, you know, I guess... Um, creating wants and needs in us for consumerism on the level of mcdonald's but also like the security studies looking at like how disney's security system is designed a lot of that is like beneath the level of conscious awareness well i want to know things do you remember some of the stuff you learned about that um because i love disney now i'm not gonna like him after this no i'm just kidding not (laughs) on like deep detail but yeah disney is really fascinating um yeah, not I don't not on the level that I wish I could talk about it on, but I think a lot of us know that there's all of these sort of like um, hidden gems in Disney. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, but also their their secu- a lot of their security like they have like exits and stuff. Like I, um, <laughs> I was just listening recently. I didn't come up in my class, but like I heard something about how there's like a secret entrance for fire trucks that's like under a roller coaster. In, that goes inside a building. Whoa. Yeah. So, um, and I, I guess that's that's a, a form of security. It's not on like population right. control per se, but yeah. like they have all of these hidden elements to security that keep things flowing mm-hmm. um, well without over show of force. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess part of it is the entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, come over here, come over here, come over here, come over here, look yeah. over here, look over here, look over here. Right. And that's part of the control. I mean, it's it one is, that totally. keeps us, you know, entertained You're so happy. engaged. Right. I'm exactly. so happy when I go to Disneyland. I can't even lie. Like, it feels so happy. We love going to Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know. Uh, but they it's can, a form they of. They can work that into elements of, you know, leading you where, leading people where they want. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I guess if you, if you want to get somebody to do something, the best case scenario is that they do it willingly and are happy about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And Um, that's the world that we're, we're in now. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's other layers if you show your problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, they try not to get it there in the first place. It reminds me of, um, 
in in Sunsu's The Art of War, mm-hmm. um, there's a line that says something like that the apex of martial achievement is not to fight and win a thousand battles. The apex of martial achievement is to win without fighting. Mm. So if you get can get people willingly complying Ooh, and enjoying girl, I got it, chills. yeah. <laughs> um, it's very interesting and fascinating stuff because I feel like a lot of people just typically say oh that's a conspiracy and they throw it away and they don't want to learn more about it and they don't want to learn more about how they're so easily manipulated and controlled because I think for me when COVID happened it was like I always knew things were corrupt but it was a huge exposure of how little control I actually have over my everyday life yeah it's so complicated too though it's so complicated on the other hand like we want society to run smoothly with yes. as little violence as possible right yep <laughs> and then again i hope that. for most people <laughs> exactly so there's benefits to it that's why it exists right but particularly from like the perspective of people management you want things to go smoothly right and you don't want to have like altercations with people right so it, it there's reasons for it it makes sense on a level but there's still this sort of like tension between and is almost dystopian vibe that if you start to investigate it more fully that you can start to get about it and it's that tension again between like safety and security Mm -hmm. and um and privacy right right? yeah so it doesn't feel like we like you said we're very willingly like i very willingly put all my information on social media because at this point it's just natural it's like it's what i'm doing yeah sharing all my information on a level, it's willing to, but on another level, it's also kind of just where we're at today, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, what if we get to a point where, like, all the cities are smart cities, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, you have to live there to be able to get a job or something. Right. Right? Did you really opt into that, you know? And yeah. And, like, on what levels are that is that happening today? Because, like, a lot of, like... A lot of moms who are starting their own businesses and podcasts and whatnot. Yeah. You have to have an online presence. Anymore. You have to. That's what I that's learned. that's where the world is at. I was trying to be off social media completely. And then when I decided to redo my podcast, I'm like, I'm not going to have any, what am I going to do? Knock on doors and say, hey, here's my business card. Exactly. Listen to my podcast. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's just not, just, I mean, you can call it a choice, but then there's these, I guess, invisible factors yes. Yes. that lead you down a certain yeah. path. Yeah. Right? Um. It's true. Yeah. That's very true. Um, Let's talk about your background with where you've lived and your experience with homeschooling your son. Mm, Okay. Well. Because homeschool is the new wave. Yeah. It's always been around, but it's more, there's so many more people doing it now and thriving in it and enjoying it. So, so if we're going to talk about homeschooling, I'm actually going to go back farther because uh, back when nobody did it, I was actually homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a homeschool graduate myself. Um, so that's where my homeschool... Were you homeschooled? Did you ever go to public school? Not, not until high school. Okay. Yeah. How cool. <laughs> was it a positive experience for you? Um, it was complicated. Uh, I, I think that the majority of... Um, homeschoolers back then were mm-hmm. were sort of like um almost like religious separatists yes yeah <laughs> yeah and there's were you was your family uh, my fa- I was born into that yeah, yeah. and so I like I there's things I don't agree with and mm-hmm. things that I think benefited me and mm-hmm. I feel like you know um now I can take those lessons and do better with yeah. them yeah um and so yeah so 
Um, from high school, I transitioned to Delta College, which is a community college if, for people who may be out of the area and not recognize that name. And I um, wasn't really sure what I was doing in community college, so I think it was a good good place to find my pathway. Yeah. Um, I got into... I was, even though I didn't have a whole lot of direction, I was a bit of a go-getter, so, like, I, I was on, um, the college swim team, and I joined student government. That's so awesome. And through student government, um, I wound up going to Washington, D.C., where, um, I was lobbying, I, I was sent as a representative mm-hmm. to, uh, talk to Congressman McNerney to lobby on behalf of community college student interests. So um, were you against McNerney? And I wasn't, I'd, I was just um, taking student requests that were voted on and asking him to pay attention to those issues. So I did an internship for Congressman Jerry McNerney. Did you really? Yes, I did. Wow. Because I was fascinated with politics. Okay. So I was answering calls when there was, back then, the debate was all about health care. What year was your internship? Okay, so I graduated in 2008, and I met Bobby when I was doing, so April, so January of 2010 is when I started. That's yeah. crazy. I'm not sure exactly, but it yeah. would have been around. That's fairly close to. Isn't that crazy? Because I, I, I was in the office, like answering phones, and I I, yeah. I would do events on the weekends, like the local ones. So I would meet like at events, and I'd be there at his events. And yeah. I was I was for sure going to Delta at that time. Oh my god! Yeah, so I'm was not I. Sure yeah, what year exactly? I was in DC, but that was pretty close. That is so crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was a great experience. I learned. I don't care what side of politics you're on, but I learned so much. I really enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's so yeah. funny. So sort of that. similar to my experience was I wasn't really focused so much on like the, you know, the signs. right and the left as opposed to just learning how to like lobby and, and present yeah. student issues. Yes. And, and then that's also. So cool. Like while I was there, I was like, oh yeah, also I have, to, I remembered, well, I don't, I don't know, it's not like I forgot, but it, I guess I didn't plan this out, but when I got there, I was like, oh, yeah, my cousin lives in D.C., and he's, oh, like, cool. a, he's a lawyer. He's cool. He's cool. He's a lawyer who represents, like, um, indigenous oil interests. Really? Yeah. That is super cool. His wife's really cool, too. So at the time, she was leading um, meetings with a, a human rights organization called The One Campaign. Okay. Um, and so I went and had, I was like, hey, I'm in D.C. And they're like, oh, we'll take you out to dinner. So over dinner, she's telling me about her work. And she said that, like, oh, man. Well, I don't even know what I could say about this. Because she basically had, like, um, a secret meeting with some... Secret um, people. So, women, <laughs> so like, basically, there was, like, a, um, a human rights organization in Africa that was um, experiencing a lot of, I guess, persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were things, like, just really huge human rights concerns in their country. And they had to, like, sneak out of the country oh my God. in order to attend the meeting. Oh, my God. And, How fascinating. Yeah. And she was telling me, and if they got caught trying to leave the country, they'd be put to death. And so oh she is like, God. if they're even if they're even alive right now, they're landing in D.C. as we speak to meet with us in the morning <laughs> with Amnesty International. Wow. Yeah. 
and and oh i love that so i was like mind blown <laughs> well yeah right you're young and impressionable and it's yeah. like whoa <laughs> this is the most excitement i'd ever had yeah sure. and 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 then on top of that she says so if you're available you can meet with us during our <gasps> breakfast meeting did you get to go so i got to go oh my god that's so cool and i was like wow i know what i want to do with my life i was like really was that like a you? light bulb moment oh man i mean i didn't wind up doing well I, it's funny how one thing leads to another but like so, yeah, it was a major pivot point in my journey. So I was like, like before that, I was like, I don't know, maybe you'll see psychology, maybe language. I'm not really sure. And people we are like, We sound so that? much like, alike. I, I don't I, know, because it's interesting. Yeah. And then this was like really like meaningful, the yes. work she was doing. Yes. And yeah. I was like, what's a good degree for this? And she told me sociology. So I went home and I was like, that's it. I'm going to do sociology. That is so cool. <laughs> Yeah, and so then I got into uh, later, well, yeah, and so actually then I got pregnant with my son and um, went through some hard times, became a single mom when my son was 10 months old, applied to UCSD anyways, got in. So cool. <laughs> and um, started at UC San Diego for sociology when he was one and a half. I didn't have any family over there, so. How'd you make it work? Was there resources? Yeah, I so one of the things I looked at when I was applying to universities was mm-hmm. I was like okay I'm definitely gonna need family housing yep and I'd, I need somewhere to send my son so I found that some of the universities had early childhood education centers and oh UCSD was one of them how cool so UCSD had this yeah they called it the ECEC the e- early childhood education center so the ECEC was right in family housing Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, and then like there was a shuttle that would take me to campus. Actually, I, I what? So well, I'm cool. not using it because I just like ride my bike there. But yeah. Anyways, it was the way that that was set up. Made That's a it pretty possible. supportive like environment to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, it was still pretty like most people don't do it. Like <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, I made it happen, and I had you know like I graduated with straight A's in my sociology degree. Actually, I. Um, the so UC San Diego has a six college system and the college I applied to within that uh, required you to learn a foreign language because I was really interested in international issues. Oh my gosh! And That's um, so neat. but I saved my language learning classes for sort of like later, and then I thought that I could just I'd, I'd taken Spanish before, but I thought that I could just kind of enroll at Spanish one and get an easy A. And then they wouldn't let me. They're like, no, you have to go test for it. I was like darn it uh, I thought about like blowing the test on purpose but I was like nah I'll just take it <laughs> I'll, I'll see where I'm at so I go to take the test and I accidentally I had no idea this would happen I accidentally tested out of all of my my language requirements like I did way better than I had imagined wow I would do what a trip <laughs> and at the same time like when I was in the office they're looking at everything on my record and they're like uh you know we forgot to count some of your units from delta so actually you're ready to graduate wow and i was like i don't even i thought i had a whole nother year left and i was like uh, no i'm not ready to graduate actually i don't know where i'm going i didn't apply right. anywhere like yeah I, what, did you do? <laughs> yeah so i was like all right i'm gonna double major and um i was like well apparently i'm good at language because i <laughs> Is that what you ended up double majoring in? So I double Spanish? majored in language studies. Oh, that's so cool. And I'd, you know, um, I'd had a, I'd always kind of wanted to study abroad and speak Spanish. And so I became the first person in my program to study abroad with a dependent. 
Where'd you go? As son was three and a half, we went and spent six and a half months in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Oh my god. With your son. With my three and a half year old. Oh my god. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, Tell us about that. That's so fascinating to me. Well, um, so in Argentina, they start kindergarten at three. So he was able to enroll in a local kindergarten. Oh my god! Um, How cool! So I, I, I think you know everything that I really struggled for in my twenties. My son got before the age of ten. Yeah, you know? right. Like he studied abroad at three. Yeah, that's he so went, cool. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, he went. And, um, I was taking child language acquisition courses at UCSD, and uh, one time they invited him, so he came and like talked to a whole form of two hundred and fifty students, and he was like three. You know, oh my god. <laughs> this kid. <laughs> like living the college life at three I don't know <laughs> in another country yeah yeah well so right, cool. at UCSD and studying abroad and um yeah and it was it was pretty cool it was there was a I learned a lot about like the economic cycles that um cyclically occur across Latin America that's so interesting to me can you share whatever you're willing to share about it yeah well, basically, there's um, there's this sort of this pattern. I can speak to it more specifically in Argentina because while I yeah, okay, I have a that. broader understanding that this occurs in like across from like South America through like Mexico, but or not maybe Central America, but okay. um, Mexico is a little different. But basically, what the the take that I was reading and learning about in my classes was that um, since it's a cycle you could just, you could start at different points at it so let's start with like economic downturn we mm-hmm. know that, I think we all generally know that there's like cycles of crashes mm-hmm. that occur like uh, Venezuela's been <laughs> having real issues right yeah um, and so like looking at a, a point where like Venezuela is now where things are like really really bad mm-hmm. um and people are just uh, you know what was once the middle class is just struggling to survive right you know people are dying on the streets of hunger there's like increased crime um and what happened to their economy so I'm getting there so like it, it says it's a cycle it's like I'm gonna start with like a typical response to that okay so like may um I guess before that, like when things are not quite as bad, um, but also I'm not, my, what I studied wasn't Venezuela in particular, but rather this dynamic that occurs. Yes. The cycle. So so like the the typical pattern is that like maybe before things get that bad that they're they're more at a level where everybody's just kind of unhappy because there's an economic slump but it's not as severe right. yet right so and since these cycles occur within like maybe around 10 years or something like at the point where it's not that bad people remember when things are pretty good like the middle yeah. class a few years ago was able to go on holiday you know right <laughs> and you know enjoy yeah, it, it enjoy perks of a middle-class life, and then, you know, all of a sudden they can't afford things, and it's really hard, and they're struggling to make it, and there's this sense that the right politician can come in mm. and make things better, mm-hmm. um, and most of these people aren't, you know, 
economics majors. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, they're just voting for, they want to, a lot of people want to vote for a person who's going to tell them they're going to make their lives better, right? Of course. And so they vote in a person that says, okay, you know, we're going to increase the minimum wage and we're going to, you know, uh, make ret- give better retirement benefits and, you know, subsidize food costs and yeah. all this stuff. Um, so that's who they elect in. They usually embraces populist policies um, and all of the and increases social safety nets and the minimum wage. But the problem is that often there's not the bank reserves for that. Mm. So how they do it is they end up printing money. <laughs> Since uh, not unlike some of the things we've been seeing in the U.S. recently. Exactly. Right. Right. And um, so that makes things better in the short run but then it catches up with them because it leads to bigger debt exactly so it's only a a matter of time before a more severe crisis hits yep yep (laughs) and um so so yeah then you start in in latin america we've seen things like like real low lows like the crash that venezuela is going on um into right now and then um, typically, the response to that is they're like, "Okay, we we're in like dire straits, and we need a major fix." And so they've brought they've brought in like, um, and they start to to embrace more fiscally conservative conservative policies, mm-hmm. um, where and then the people really feel the pinch, yeah, and it, right. things get worse for a while, but then they can start to build up their reserves, right, um, and then things start to get better. So Venezuela is at rock bottom. As well as at rock bottom, right. yeah, and um, but where how this where when I went to Argentina in twenty fourteen, um, they had like debt, but it wasn't. Um, I think maybe they were on the upswing. <laughs> they they had um, yeah, they'd had a major crash, and then they had embraced fiscally conservative policies. I'm not like I'm not trying to advocate for fiscally conservative policies per no, se. I, just, I believe in sharing. balance. <laughs> yeah. Right? But I do think that, like, if we're going to, like, I, I believe in social safety nets and human rights and all that, but you have to, like, make it work fiscally. Like, Correct. you have to think ahead with those things. Yeah. And, like, um, otherwise it's unsustainable. Which, right. Which we've seen time and time again. Exactly. With the cycles in Latin America. And, <laughs> um, anyways... So when I went to Argentina, the Christina Kirchner, who was the president at the time, um, she'd one of the ways that she was working on the national debt was by being dishonest about the worth of the peso and hyperinflating it in comparison to the American dollar. Oh my god! So, and the people didn't didn't realize this. The people did realize it, mm-hmm. um, and you know, having lived through crashes, they yeah. didn't really ha- they didn't trust the economy or right. or the Argentine dollar, um, so they were actually desperate to get a hold of foreign dollars. Mm. Um, but the government <laughs> didn't want that. So, like, right. for the the government had like a law that you could only um, have a savings of two hundred American dollars, and you had to have special written permission from the government to have that. Wow. <laughs> wow! Yeah, and that's when you were there, and I didn't, I didn't know it before I went there. Like, yeah. it was this whole quagmire, and I'm like, here I'm on like, yeah, I'm on like student funds as a single parent, <laughs> which actually a side story. I had less than your typical single student because 
So the UC system is actually discriminatory against parents. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't, I wasn't able to go on a UC study abroad program because they wouldn't allow dependents. So I had to go outside of that. So my study abroad program actually came from the University of Rochester in New York. Oh, that just makes me roll my eyes. Like I can't, the, the, the not supporting. Yeah. So the, like, it was a bit ironic because like I had, as a UCSD student, right. I had grants and scholarships on the basis of being a single parent. Right. That I suddenly couldn't access because I temporarily lost UC status and the funding that came with it in order to be able to study abroad. That is crazy. Yeah. So I did it with less support and less resources than an individual student. Um, And like I also I wasn't allowed to like everybody else stayed with like host families. I wasn't allowed to stay with host family or be in like a dorm. I had to find my own housing because of my dependent. Oh my god. And I had to have a school. I had to find, you know, a school for my son. So I had a lot more challenges, but I did great. I got like straight A's. I, That's you so know, cool. did sports on the side. I, I solved this. <laughs> I, I ended up having to like my. In order to get a reasonable rate on rent, I had to pay in American dollars, which I couldn't get in Argentina. So I figured out I had to go over to Uruguay every month so mm-hmm. I could get money to pay my rent. And how far was that for you? Um. The. Shortest way was like about a 20 minute taxi drive to the dock, and then I had to take an hour and a half ferry. What? That is wild. <laughs> but it was I mean, like, it's worth it, right? Super beautiful, and Uruguay was a lot of fun. That's cool. So I'm like, all right, well, I yeah, forced uh, vacation once a month. <laughs> and, you know, I'd go on the weekends, and um, all the stores would be shut down, but like they'd have. Um, like concerts in the park and they'd have you know festivals in the streets and yeah um so did you fine-tune your spanish when you were there was that the whole purpose yeah yeah okay um i was by the end of it people were like um they're like you know, I can tell you're not from Argentina. Where are you from, Uruguay? And I'm like, ah. That they're is like so funny. They're guessing I'm from the region. Like, they're not like, oh, are you an English speaker? Like, are you That's from America? So cool. Like, no, they were asking me if I was from a country in South America. That is really neat. Yeah, so I was like, okay, my Spanish is getting there, <laughs> you know. And then I came back and I was speaking, like, but the dialects are, of Spanish are so different. Right. So I came back speaking, like, near Argentine Spanish right. and the Mexicans are like what what are you saying I don't understand you oh that's crazy <laughs> oh like so what I was like yeah feeling pretty fluent to like I don't know feeling clunky in my Spanish again and I had to like re-navigate that but it was like you know a step up so the the cross from Argentine Spanish to uh, like Mexican Spanish was was a lot easier than learning a whole new language you know? yeah yeah like the grammar and stuff is similar I mean there's significant differences right so we talked about um Spanish-speaking students in the public school system and and challenges that they've had yeah will you share a little bit on that because I thought that was really interesting are you talking about like native Spanish-speaking students Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so they're and how they're labeled in the public school system here Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's different levels to this, and I was yeah. Remember we talked about this, but now I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So children, it it, this theoretically, I've seen uh, since I speak Spanish, and my my child came home speaking Spanish. Like my perspective is Spanish speaking, but I know this happens to children of immigrants who speak a different home language, right? More broadly, not just Spanish. Exactly. But basically. 
And this is a combination of observation and stuff I learned in my um, studies at UC San Diego that basically what happens is, um, so you've got ages and stages of development. So mm -hmm. say that a child is supposed to be speaking 100 words to be on par with their age peers. Right. Right? Um, but, you know, a child that grows up in a language other than English in the U.S., which is English dominant, mm -hmm. a percentage of those words are going to be in another language, mm -hmm. right? Are going to be in the home language. Right. Um, and it's probably not 50-50, but let's just, let's say it's 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that they're evenly bilingual. Then when they go to school and they're tested, they're only tested in English. Right. So now, although the child speaks 100 words, or even if they're advanced, maybe the child speaks 150 words but takes right. the test and only half of that shows up. So yeah. the child, maybe even an advanced child, now looks like they have a learning delay mm. because they're only counting half of the words, like 75 right. words, <laughs> right? How is that even a fair system? It's not a fair system. Right. And, and the thing is about it that really gets me is that like, <laughs> you know that if I'm studying this, if the re like I, I I you know there were there was research written on this, it wasn't contested, mm -hmm. and it's 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 not new research, mm -hmm. so it's not like we as a society don't know that. Yeah, right. And yet that um, I, I, that's where you really get to see like a lot of people contest whether or not there's systemic inequality. It's kind of like not really thinking deeply about you know. The tension between security and freedom and and um how we're sort of like tracked into things yeah yeah well um there's i think that like this language pattern is a good example of how systemic inequality can be institutionalized to the point where it's even baked into our tests and systems for identifying um, things like like learning delays and learning deficiencies mm -hmm. and then um, you know whereas that should be getting the kid extra help um, it's it's creating systemic disadvantage for the child so what happens is they get like labeled and then the teachers will tell the parents stop speaking to them in the home language don't oh them that's in the, the home part language. that you said that infuriated me yeah, it upsets me. It doesn't align with the research. It's the such research a beautiful thing to speak shows your language. That, that speaking more than one language is an advantage. It it's is an absolute advantage. It's a cognitive advantage. Yeah. Long term, they, they perform better academically. You make more money when you're bilingual. Yeah. Companies hire you, you get a dollar more an hour immediately if you learn, know another language. And there's, you know? life, there's like benefits across the life course. So even as you get older um, into like retirement and later adulthood, you're less likely to get Alzheimer's. Or, wow. yeah, so, um, plus it's a beautiful cultural thing. It, it's, it's a family, and it's then, part right, of your family roots. I think that's a huge part of the injustice is how mm -hmm. it creates trauma by disconnecting the child from their family yeah. and their culture. So now they're going back to Mexico to visit their family and they don't speak the language anymore or they can yeah. barely speak the language. Sometimes it's, it's, it's closer to home than that. Like I've known children whose like dads can't speak English and the children, because the schools told the parents to stop speaking to them in Spanish, the children now can't communicate with their father. That is disgusting. Yeah. That is disgusting. Um, and so, <laughs> actually, so I'm going to give you a specific example that I think really highlights the extent of the injustice. So, um, I was, um, 
I, I, a mom heard about how good I was at teaching kids like language and, yeah. and stuff yeah. and, and reading and writing and everything. So a, a Hispanic mom came to me um, and they'd immigrated from Central America mm-hmm. and exactly that happened. So her child was labeled with a learning delay. Mm-hmm. Um, his father didn't even speak English and they were told to stop speaking to him in Spanish and to stop reading to him in Spanish. What a tragedy. And I had like one, I gave him one lesson in reading in English. And then I talked to the mom and I was like, okay. I basically explained, I'm like, I'm not saying that bilingual kids can't have learning delays, but that the system right. is rigged against them. Right. To where like they're systematically being overdiagnosed with learning delays. Uh-huh. And studies show, despite what the teachers are saying and the school is saying, I don't think that teachers are trying to be evil. They're like. No, they're just following the system. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, despite like the misinformation that's coming from the schools, like I'm like, don't stop speaking to them in Spanish. Don't right. stop reading to them in Spanish. Just read to them. Though, so like a, a huge factor in your child's ability to start reading is how much your child was read to. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to be in English. Like if your child is, is consistently read to in another language, they're more likely to start reading in English earlier. Right. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, also I showed her how I was working uh, with her child in English on reading, and I only gave her one lesson. And then she didn't continue with lessons, but then she messaged me a week later and she's like I just need to tell you my child has had a breakthrough so we went home and I started reading to him in Spanish and then and he was watching me read to him and he just started reading in Spanish organically from watching his mom read to him right and then the next week he made the crossover and started reading in English Mm. now what really gives me chills about this is what if Instead of, like, what if she never met with me and she listened to the school at the point where that child was about to have a breakthrough in reading in Spanish and English? Shut him down. How, like, maybe it would have been years before he started reading in English. And then how academically behind would he be? You know what I mean? And how emotionally messed up and traumatized would he be that he now can't communicate with his father? That's right. And how he internalizes those messages about himself, about that he's just slow and incapable. Yeah. And how his family will look at him and treat him because of that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. So I don't understand. My husband comes from, um, his grandmother speaks Spanish and she didn't teach Spanish to any any of the family. Like, they didn't grow up. She married a, um, a white man, and she didn't speak as much. She still can speak Spanish. But I guess I've always seen it as a positive to, know, a, to know another language. We also have to understand that, like, we're living in a different world. I mean, there's some of the same old tensions, but, yeah. like, a generation ago, um, the level of discrimination against people of color was much more palpable. Yes. Yeah. And so it was a survival strategy that those who could would pass as as white. That's so tragic. So that's so you sad. know people coming over with a home language would look at that as something that was going to disadvantage. Like their they'd kids. stand out and they would stand out. Yeah, they get bullied yeah. and you know all these things. Well, the nasty thing terminology you'll hear is you know you shouldn't be coming to America if you can't speak English and it's like oh no your ignorance your ignorance is disgusting. Yeah, it's really sad. It is. I guess I never seen it from that point like you're saying like they're just coming here and trying to blend in and they're they're not passing down the language because teachers are making comments or 
maybe like, you know, for my husband's grandmother, she married a white man. So maybe that's why she didn't continue speaking Spanish. Like there's so but, many different layers to that. Yeah. I think that the, the majority of parents that I talk to now yeah. who speak a home language do yeah. want to pass that on to their children. Yes. There's a change now. But there's, you know, there's different challenges now because, right. like, now that they actually want to, they're realizing it's not so easy. I mean, there's yeah. there's still that systemic discrimination baked into, like, the public school system of how they're testing for things like language learning delays. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, on top of that, like, me, for example. So, <laughs> um, just looking at my own son, I see some of the same patterns, like, and it's funny because I don't have any... I've, I don't have any heritage that's Spanish-speaking. Right. <laughs> and so to still see how some of this affected me and my son, even though that wasn't my the heritage I was born into, yeah, is really interesting. I think it... Yeah. So, like, in six months, my son went from monolingual English, only speaking English, knowing no Spanish, to completely forgetting English and only speaking Spanish... And the what you talked about before is that when they're, before they're five, that happens very easily for them, right? Yeah. Wasn't that what you explained? Yeah. Yeah, because for an adult, that's not going to happen that quickly. It, it, the the studies I read, there's a little bit of contestation on when that happens exactly, and I yeah. think it's going to be a little bit different from child to child too. But of like, course, I had read this study that like four was a significant wow. difference. So if you got if the child spoke the language. By the age of four, that even if they walked away and f- thought they forgot the language and came to back to it, like in college, it would come oh back to them God. faster, and they would have like they could, like their pronunciation would be more native-like, their grammar wow. would be more native-like because because they um, spoke the language at that young age. Yeah. So I was able to get him speaking the, the language by the age of four. So it was really cool. That's so amazing. Um. Yeah, and he had private previously spoke English too, so he was able to, um, you know, his his English came back really fast. It only took him a week, actually. Like the first day back, he couldn't. It was really frustrating to him. Like he missed his friends a lot, and he couldn't communicate with them. Um, that is such a trip. Yeah, and then but like by the end of the week, it was like like we ran into someone in the grocery store from South America, and in Spanish, they're like to my son, they're like, oh, so you speak Spanish? And my son was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had, like refused to speak it, but even his no was like such an Argentine accent, right. you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it, he that quickly he rejected it, and it was like, you know, I I tried to get his teachers to speak it. I wanted to speak with him. It was important to me that he kept up with it, but like he was having, um, I think strong reverse culture shock. Really? Yeah, and um, you know. Like, my teacher told me that, like, when she tried to speak to him in Spanish, he'd, like, he'd, like, burst into tears or he'd be, like, don't talk to me like that. So, it was, like, you know, (laughs) his emotional health mattered more to me. So, I let it go for a bit um, until I started homeschooling him. And you asked me to touch on, like, places we live. So, yeah. Yeah, So, so we lived in, we um, started out in Northern California. We moved to UCSD when he was one and a half, San Diego. Then when he was three and a half, we moved to Argentina. He turned four there in November. We moved back um, New Year's Day uh, to San Diego. I finished up my degrees, and then I got a job in Texas for a few years. Um, and then I got into grad school in Canada. So we lived in Canada for a year and a half. So cool. Yeah. So it, single moms, you can do it. <laughs> right, totally. I know that's the message that you really want Absolutely. Like, women to understand that. Yeah, like there's... Uh, 
yeah, I, I think there were so many people that were saying, oh, you shouldn't do this, you can't do this, it's a bad idea. Oh, I bet, I bet I, you yeah. got a lot of backlash, yeah. <laughs> from, from everyone, even from the University of UCSD, I mean, clearly, like, I would, they wouldn't even let me retain my UC status when I right. went to study abroad. That's how unsupportive they were. Yeah. Um, Very strange. And I, I kicked butt at it, you know, I went and got straight A's, That's and so my, cool. my kid did well, and he was happy, and... Uh, you know, yeah, we did sports on the side. We, you know, it was amazing. It was a beautiful experience. Yeah, you really light up when you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love travel. It does make me light up. And um, <laughs> I, I guess it was, I knew it was going to be hard, but I also knew it was going to be really empowering. And that's, yeah. it really was. Like, I, there were so many times that I used that as a reference point in my life. Like, I'm like, okay, if I can, like, when I was in Texas, I went to, like, use a... Um, the public transportation system. Yeah. And my cousin was like, that's kind of wild. You sure you want to do that? I'm like, hey, it's in English. Like, I did this in South America in a foreign language. Like, yeah. I can, yes. That's so cool. <laughs> Absolutely can do this here, you know? And, like, everything as like, when I was traveling in other places, like, you know, like, um... Like, when I went back to D.C. or, you know, Canada or whatever, I'm like, hey, you know, it's in English. It's not South America. My yeah. son's not one and a half, you know? Right, right. <laughs> like, I, like, this is easy for me. Right. I, I know I, I can do it because look what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really empowering. And and um, my son and I both became fluent in Spanish, and that was so huge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So what was Canada like? Well... For me, it was, <laughs> so the, the University of Toronto is really prestigious for grad schools in sociology, so it was really hectic, because I was really? just, yeah, just, you know, eating, breathing, and sleeping sociology. <laughs> That's um, so cool. But. How long were you there? Uh, a year and a half. Okay. So it's kind of stressful for me, but that was a product of, you know, being in an, in, like, intense program of study. Yeah, and having a child. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> Who, you know, at the same time uh, was getting bullied in the Canadian public school system, so then I had to pull him out and homeschool him. What was he being bullied about? It's a good question, because I wasn't there, but, like, he told me things like that. Okay, so, in, you know, it's funny, because, like, Tristan graduated kindergarten at four in Argentina, and then he came back in California. Wouldn't let him start till six because mm. when his birthday was. Mm-hmm. So uh, here in this state, if your if your birthday's towards the end of the year, then right. they hold you back a grade, which isn't yeah. even int- it's not even universally true in the states. It's like a California thing. It is. So it gets weird when you try to travel and reintegrate them into public schools right. in different places. Well, he's probably because way ahead ages- of the game. <laughs> Well, just out of sync, right? Yeah, totally out of sync. Yeah, and then, so he went from being, like, the oldest kid in his grade to, because that was also true in Texas, and then then we moved to Canada, and also there's there's such rigidity in the systems, like, they won't actually, like, okay, you were in this grade in this other place, so we'll just put you in that grade. They're like, no, over here, you're in this grade. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We don't care, like, it's it's not at all child-centric or, you know, focused on where they're really at. Um... And uh, so they they put him they bumped him up a grade, which I think that he could have handled if he'd been properly prepped for it. Like I think his school in, he was in a gifted program in Texas, and I think they were preparing him to skip a grade. But yeah. they weren't just going to throw him into the other grade. They were going to make right. sure he was prepared first. Right. So here we had this like whole international move, and they just throw him into a grade ahead, and then it's a mixed classroom. 
So they also have. So he's. They threw him into the grade ahead. So he's now right. like the youngest in his grade. Right. And then they have and it's a, a grade class. above it. Okay. There too. Yeah. That's very challenging. <laughs> yeah. While going through like culture shock and everything. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And um. So. Then there were like I guess these like groups of older boys that mm-hmm. would follow him around at recess and mm-hmm. like touch his hair and stuff mm-hmm. and like the more he got upset about it the more they like see it as you know Instigating gratification yeah, to pick on him yeah and like, like one time he told me uh, <sighs> actually and I addressed it with the teacher I was like hey so uh, my son said this is happening and her response was like oh yeah I can verify that's happening not like oh yeah I saw that so this is what I did I to can stop verify it. that's just like oh word. yes I've seen that Right, like she saw it and right. she just let it happen. Dismissed it, mm-hmm. right? And then, like, um, then he told me that um, that same group of boys. They told him that uh, if he didn't wrestle them, that he'd make they'd make him wrestle them. Oh wow! And I'm like, how is this how going inappropriate. on on the playground yeah. with the teachers around? I'm like, exactly. where were the teachers? He's like, a teacher saw it. I was like, what? So wild. I go talk to the principal, and the principal calls him a liar. So I just like literally, she was like, "I'm just gonna say that didn't happen." So I was like, "I'm just gonna say we're homeschooling." Yeah, good for you. <laughs> and she, then she yep. tried to backtrack, and I'm like, "No, I don't think so," because like the no. trust is gone. Yep. Like <laughs> you I'm can't, not gonna you're not gonna my protect child my in this child. Situation. Right, right. You're not protecting yeah, them. Like, this kid really messed him up for life. So, yeah, because like, that's major trauma, and I'm not gonna leave him in that situation. No, absolutely not. So actually, I, then I went home, and I. I like, because there were times when I wanted to go to school as a kid, and I wasn't allowed to, so I didn't want to be that way. So I was yeah. just like, look, I just had a heart-to-heart with my son, and I was like, look, I believe you, and it's yeah. not okay what's happening at school, mm-hmm. and I can't solve your pro- your problems while you're at school. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a choice. Yeah, You can go there, and I can't fix the situation for you, mm-hmm. or I can homeschool you. And he chose to homeschool. Good. Um. Poor thing. That's sad. Yeah. You know, we love our babies. We oh, don't yeah. want him to go through anything. No. Um, but he's he's done really well homeschooling, and I think also it turned out to be, I think the older they get, the more that they need more, like, consistency with their educational path anyways. Yeah. And so we already had the transition of coming back to the U.S., and then um, that was, like, the this um, like December twenty nineteen I think it was like right before COVID okay hit. okay and um I was thinking about putting him in school but um I was I'm glad I'm really glad I didn't because he would have just been pulled out again exactly right for COVID yeah so it, it made it a uh, easier transition for us just because we were already homeschooling to be right. able to keep that going um and then you know. So, so I came back to my hometown, but I'd lived away for seven years. Right. And so, like, all my friends and stuff had moved away. So it was, it was this weird, just thing from a cultural perspective, it was a weird duality of being, yeah. like, you know, born and raised here, mm-hmm. but also feeling like a foreigner. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's funny how much a place changes in seven years. Like, the old landmarks. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, I used to think, oh, you know, this thing is over by McDonald's. And, like, McDonald's isn't there anymore. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, no, this area changed a lot. Yeah. Um, so it changed a ton, and I felt like a foreigner, and I didn't really have a close friend network. And 
um, COVID hit and everything shut down and, you know, I'm a single, I'm a solo parent and I only have one child. So like that's, that's more isolating for than him. it was for some people. Yes. Yeah, yes. right. And it's like, to me, it's like, okay, well, if something's isolating for me, at least I'm an adult, but he's just yeah, a child. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. On top of transitioning to a new country, because yeah. you get reverse culture shock when you're away for so long. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, seven years for me, I still had a solid, re- like, memory of the area, but seven years for him at the for time child, was, like, most so of different. his life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so... Like, he didn't even have a memory of living here. Right. Because he was a baby. So you were homeschooling him. Tell us, give us some tips, because there's a lot of moms who are either already homeschooling or transitioning into homeschooling. What type of homeschooling? Like, do you do it through a charter? How do you do homeschooling? How do you do it well? Yeah, um, I could say what I personally do, but I really believe that there's no one right way. Right. So I'll tell you what I do and then give you more of a overview Love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, the, so most people don't know, most people don't know that like homeschooling in California is more of an informal term. There's okay. no, like, there's no such thing legally speaking as homeschooling California. Okay. So when people say they're, they homeschool, assuming that they're doing it legally, Okay. They're doing one of, like, several things. So the most common way, most people who say they're homeschooling are going through charter schools. The charter, mm-hmm. um, charter schools are kind of like a hybrid of, of homeschool yes. and public school. Yep. Because um, there's still requirements on what they're teaching and learning. They're legally public schools. Yeah. And, um, and they so get they, funding. Right, and, and that funding yeah. that they get uh, comes with stipulations because exactly. it's like federal and state funding. Yeah. So your child still has to be meeting. Um, they're under all of the same guidelines. The, the testing and all that. So you're kind of dipping, as a homeschooler, you're dipping your toes into homeschooling if you're plugged into a charter. Yeah, yeah. but there's, there's more freedom in it because, like, what the charters do is they'll – so they'll, they'll take that funding that right. – um, usually the public school allots to the programs they use and instead they'll let the parent have some control Choose, over it right but the the charter schools have like so the charter schools will have a list of like approved curriculum and also approved vendors so vendors might be like teaching extracurriculars or okay like for example i teach kids spanish so i'm right. an approved vendor with the charter schools right so what that means is That's that so awesome parents can choose to allot some of their educational funding um, to that to my classes exactly and the parents don't have to pay for it out of pocket right um and it's about 2400 i think a school year right something like that last time i checked yeah i yeah. think there's a little bit of variance by age and charter but yeah. it's around that yeah so um that's pretty attractive to most parents who decide to homeschool right is to have that funding it makes a big difference um another way to do it i th- um i think that people who Okay, we all have our biases, and yeah. you know there might be exceptions. But the way that I see it, which it, I'm not claiming not to have biases, but like I, I think that a lot of parents who are coming out of the public school system and don't understand how to homeschool, mm-hmm. um, they're like, oh, well, actually, they're not. It's funny to say they're coming out of the public school system because it's still the public school system at this point. Uh, but they're they're coming out of the like mainstream approach to public exactly. education, which is your child goes for like seven eight hours a day mm-hmm. to a building with a bunch of other kids and one teacher teaches them um 
So like getting out of that format, another approach is that there's public school at home. So basically the there's still like so the public school allows the curriculum so the parents don't get the funding and they're still on on they're like on computers for hours and hours yeah i was gonna say that's all online doing the public education program right um and that might be like independent study or public school at home and some people call themselves um homeschoolers via that route too um and then so if actually if you look at it as a continuum scale maybe like the less freedom and choice the least freedom and choice involved might be like attending the public school in person and then after that would be at least you get to like there's more flexibility in being able to do your studies at home but also there's it ties up a lot of your time so it's harder to get out and do social things yes is like the independent study at home Mm -hmm. and also you don't get the funding to pick your curriculum right and then charter school you're still having to make meet like all of the regulations and hallmarks but you get funding and you have some choice in how you implement that um and then um, the least regulated is the PSA which stands for the private school affidavit um, and I think that sounds intimidating to a lot of parents, but it's actually fairly simple in terms of how you actually get, uh, registered as a PSA. You just go onto the California state website mm-hmm. and file an affidavit. It's all online. Yep. Uh, I sat yeah. in on a meeting for like an hour and a half at one of the churches here to get all the information on it. Cause I was fascinated. I never knew that it was even a possibility for my children. Yeah. So basically what you're doing is you're declaring your home a public, a private school. Yeah. Um, and you know, you just, you need to come up with like a name. Right. Um, and you're the, you need to be responsible as a parent just to do right by your child. But like right. the state is not really involved checking up on you. Maybe unless someone calls child services. Exactly. But, um, so, but also it's really, it's interesting to think about. I feel like it's kind of eye opening that that's, that means that like all, really all of the private schools in California are really unregulated because mm. it's that simple to open a private school. Mm. Now, when you start charging, you have like taxes and other things involved. Okay. But in terms of actually officially becoming a private school, it's not a hard thing. You're to just do. filling out a piece of paper online, right? right. <laughs> uh, which, like, wow. So right. I I would almost find that unnerving in terms of enrolling my child in private school because I'm not the one who's unless it's my private school right yes (laughs) because then I know everything that's going on there yeah right and what sort of education they're actually getting but to think that there's like really no standards right uh for (laughs) private school it can be kind of alarming yeah yeah you know my daughter you know we kind of talked about this too it feels like the first couple years of school and like public school could be very beneficial because you're learning just the basics reading writing alphabet all that how to like be polite to each other and take turns okay put your toys away right just the basics (laughs) and like hey all the other kids have to take naps too (laughs) yes but my daughter is now in fourth grade and she's in the gate program and so and she's doing she's thriving she's doing really well in school But she's starting to learn things that, you know, we have a lot of discussions at home about things. So she's starting to learn things that aren't really true. Mm. It's not factual. It's not, you know, it's just part of the, what the curriculum, what they're teaching. And, and it's really starting to bother her. And you have to sit there as a parent and say, well, in a way, my child, this is just my opinion, is kind of wasting their, their time 
a lot of this you for one don't need to know a lot of the time is spent with the teacher having to help other students constantly it's kind of a it's almost like a glorified babysitter sometimes absolutely it is yeah and I hate to say that because my kids go to public school I sound like a, a hypocritical very hypocritical um but that is how I'm starting to view it it's a government establishment it's not we have no say in what goes on there my children so my children both take cell phones to school because my kids have been sick at school and they've not let them call me depending on the teacher who they are and I almost pulled them out when that happened I, I was really close to pulling them out but I just go marching in there and, you know, just let them know who I am. Like, I'm not going to play around. Like, yeah. you just know that Amelia and Addie's mom is batshit crazy. And if something happens to my children here, like, it's not going to be good. And I've had to check teachers. But it, it makes me really sad because I don't feel like I'm doing my best as a parent right now because I send them every day to school. And I don't even necessarily agree now at fourth grade with what Amelia is being taught and what she's learning. And and it's, it's hard for me because I appreciate teachers and I love teachers and I know they're doing their best, but even teachers don't agree with a lot of the stuff that they have to do in the schools. Right. That's true. Like that's, that's a bureaucracy, right? Yes. Like, like even a teacher could disagree with like, 100%. like me, if I went in and taught in the public school in Spanish, for example, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be forced to tell children who are misdiagnosed with learning delays that, yes. They shouldn't be speaking Spanish at home, right? Right. Even though I know that that's absolutely an injustice. Yes, but then it's like that. This is my job. I'm gonna lose right. my job if I don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it's complicated. I was gonna it's say so though, like some kids do really well in school, and it's a great yeah. Um, it, it works for some kids, and I think it depends on a lot of things. Like there's dynamics that are extremely different from school to school, and from teacher to teacher. Amen from kid to that. To kid. Yes. <laughs> and classroom to classroom. And I also I just wanted to tell you that like mom guilt is real, and I don't know a single excellent mom who doesn't consistently doubt herself. Right. Oh know? yeah. Oh girl, that's me. <laughs> Homeschool moms too. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I can't even yeah. imagine that pressure of feeling maybe like. Oh, are we are we behind on something or am I not pouring enough in? I can't even imagine that stress. And that's why I haven't made the leap, but I felt on my heart for years that my kids need to be homeschooled. But it's just such it's such a responsibility. It's it a truly lot. is a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it is. I think with the mom guilt, we just have to have a healthy balance because I think yes. that like part of the fact like I think that there's something intrinsic to being a good mom that makes us care enough to constantly question whether we're doing yes. it right. Yes. But it's gotta be like we gotta keep that to like a healthy level yeah yeah totally yeah I think the important thing is having open communication with your children and allowing them to express themselves even if they're wrong it's so huge and it's huge and then in that classroom environment where they're really trained to like go sit down and shut up it's like that's that's like there's another tension there between I know like uh, helping your child to develop as a whole human being with a voice and self-respect. And not suppression. Who thinks critically, but at the same right. time is able to navigate the system where in order to get by, there's times where they have to like sit down and shut up. Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't feel like public school systems teach the basics of, of like even critical thinking. I don't feel like they're, they... I feel like my son would probably have a hard time going to public school. He'd have to dummy down. He'd have to dummy yeah, down like and be quiet. I've, yeah, I've, like, I've taught him to embrace critical thinking, but, and also he's, like, traveled the world, and if he heard some sort of, like, something untrue about another he would country, say it. he'd be like, that's yes. not true. Yes. I was and then, there. Yeah. 
and you he know, could and know then, more about a topic than his teacher knows. Right, you and know? like, I mean, especially in sociology, because he's had to deal with me with, for a mom, <laughs> and he was like, you know, attending my classes at three, so yeah. I'm like, call, use DSD in the University of Toronto. And, and you definitely have a fascinating range of expertise and knowledge and experience yeah, it, and he's it, like constantly getting that he's me, constantly you know? getting that and that's a beautiful thing <laughs> so right but I don't think he'd mesh very well trying to put him no, back in public school absolutely I not. think he'd fit in in college though <laughs> right yes <laughs> yeah totally uh which there is life after high school so be okay yeah I love that that's cool <laughs> do you um let's see what else do you say we want to talk about so obviously you do the private school affidavit. That's how you're not oh, yeah. plugged right. into a charter. Correct. I so, do the PSA. So it's, okay. uh, sometimes I've, I've rethought that because I don't get the funding. What yeah, really, that's hard. What motivated me? Well, it's also my comfort zone because I like, I, my mom did PSA when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the major motivation for me was like my son is but particularly was such a perfectionist and I also think he was still healing from the trauma of his public school in Canada oh poor baby so I was trying to like be a little bit you know trying to heal his connection with learning as opposed to putting those external pressures of like grades on him right and I, I really I grew up like appreciating learning as like intrinsically valuable not learning not just trying to meet the basic requirements for an A, but to, like, there's a difference between trying to get the A and then, like, thoroughly trying to understand a topic. Yes, 100%. And, and that's what I was trying to teach him was, like, a love for learning, which I think yeah. is intention. Yes, With it is. grades. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these external pressures that right. are, you know, created by our society to get our kids in line and in step with the masses so how does a homeschool child graduate like from high school yeah do they get a ged or how does that work it it really depends on your goals Mm -hmm. and you know me coming from university i'd like to uh, um if he like was really passionate about oh i want to go into this trade then i would totally support him in that but he wants to go to university for robotics heck yeah that's cool (laughs) hey that's the way that's coming um I'm still, like, I'm sort of in the process. Like, I want to do interviews like this with um, homeschoolers who have graduated um, their high schoolers through PSA and some yeah. off to universities and yeah. working on lining those up. But That's so cool. Uh, one thing that I know works because I've done it myself is, like, to go through the whole community college route to university, right? Like, I know because yeah. I was there. It's cheaper. That, like, yeah. That, you like, have to explore what you want. Well, if he knows what he wants, it's a little bit different. But community college is a great place to explore what you're yeah, interested like in. Yeah, like, I didn't know. And Same. I read that, like, I didn't the, I read that the average college student changes their major seven times, which is, like, <laughs> yeah, at university, totally. that's crazy expensive. Yes. And at Delta, at like a community college, you can dabble. Exactly. Totally. So how, do you know how young you can be to go to community college? And it depends on the college that have different requirements. But I know that as like, so the PSA route, I am his school. Okay. So like for a child to go or like typically it's high school, like a high schooler to do like dual enrollment. Yeah. Uh, just in case, does everyone know what dual enrollment is or should I explain it? Explain it. Yeah, so um, 
dual enrollment basically means that you're you're getting a portion of your high school credits met through going to typically a community college, mm-hmm. and so you get dual credit. So um, you can, if Which you earn is enough, so awesome. if you earn enough college credit, then you can actually graduate high school with, with an associate's AA. degree. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I'm looking at for Tristan. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's the only pathway, but to me, it's the most clear-cut pathway totally. from PSA and to cost university. <laughs> yeah, because they do know that they want. Um, they want to know that universities typically have a higher standard of wanting to see evidence that the child has taken the core requirements. Um, in like meaningful ways beyond mm-hmm. just mom said so. Yes. Right. So, <laughs> so you got to get your kid experience. out to an accredited teacher who's right. um, uh, whose word on that is I don't know more well established. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then just mom says it's okay. Yeah, that's too too informal. So I right. I think um you know there are like. There are other ways to get your kid into like accredited classrooms. Right. And, like I think one way to do it is like like charter schools or something. But now mm-hmm. we're getting away from PSA, right? Mm-hmm. So um. So yeah, the the route that I'm looking at for my son is to to have him dual enroll, and and as a school, I can authorize that because a school has to authorize dual enrollment. But oh, I wow. am his school, so I can sign off that on that. That is so cool. I yeah. don't know if people know that. That's really interesting. Um. And, uh, yeah, Delta has a good, um, they have a... Delta has some great programs. They do. I'm trying to think. I always forget the name. It's not, they, they have, like, a robotics Yeah, Valley related. Robotics Academy. My stepson goes there. Valley Robotics Academy. That's not what I, their Valley no? Robotics Academy is cool because, like, they'll, it's also another sort yeah, of you're walking the line between, mm-hmm. like, it's a public school, but I heard you can opt to do a lot, mm-hmm. as many of your requirements as you want yeah, you at home with your other than labs and then they'll send you to your AA. Yeah, that's what it was it, for a mechanictronics. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I considered that, but, you know, I'm really kind of leaning towards KVM and the PSA. I've heard um, mixed reviews about Valley Robotics. One of the reasons I was really thinking about sending him there was because I'd like him to go meet other kids who are passionate about robotics yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I was like, okay, on the other hand, I established an educational nonprofit, and I'm trying to create those programs. Right. And I can get him involved and give him credit for creating some of the programs. Mm-hmm. Like, so for example, uh, we just started up. We're, we were able to form a collaboration with our local library, and they're letting us do classes there. Um, and so my son is actually he just started. That's one of the reasons I told you I've been so busy. Yeah. Um. Just just Wednesday we started up our program of classes at the library. Oh, that's so we so have cool. classes for all ages from preschool. So how can people find this information? Do you have a website or do you have a Facebook page or? Yeah, both. Um, okay. Our it's easier off the top of my head to tell you how to okay. get to our website. So you can go to mychrysalisacademy.com. How do you spell that? Um, Chrysalis is C-H-R-Y-S-A-L-I-S. And it's like the the pupa of the butterfly. It's like what transforms the butterfly Beautiful. from a worm into a butterfly. Right. I love that imagery about how we help children, you know, yes. grow their wings and, and take flight. Um, Say the name one more time. MyChrysalisAcademy.com. Perfect. And we'll put that in the link too. Yeah. The and then if you go to the bottom of the page, you'll also see a little icon for our Facebook group. Nice. Perfect. Um, 
if you if you request to join our Facebook group, just make sure to answer questions. I've been getting a lot of yeah. um, ad requests and people are answering questions. I, I got into the group and like there's so many <laughs> cool free things and resources. There's so much cool stuff in there. Awesome. Stuff that the public doesn't like typically see. So Yeah, we're trying yeah. and then I'm you know, now that we're an educational nonprofit, we're educa- we're eligible for grants, so I'm in the whole process of learning oh, grant that's writing. So cool. I just applied for my first grant this morning. How awesome. <laughs> so you know, I, I stay busy. Um yeah, and so um, on top of that, so we've got some of our programs are kid-led, which I really want to try to encourage Yeah, that's that. amazing. Um, it's really cool as like a leadership development program. I think I yeah. can find grants for them to give them stipends down the road. Don't quote me because I don't have it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working towards that. Um, but not only that, but, you know, thinking about building the resume for university, like how cool is that that Tristan yes. can say, yeah, I started teaching um coding to other kids oh, that's so cool. at the age of 12 yeah you know yes so um and, and where's he going to be teaching that is that online stuff or no he's he's teaching it um at the little library oh my god that is so cool yeah and this is free resources right so um right now our our um Current programming is going to run till November 15th. Okay. Um, yeah, it's free. It's on obligation, so you can just show up. Um, and then we're going to we're gonna break for holidays, and then we'll come back in January. So, nice. So this one's running for 11 weeks, and he's uh, his coding um, – he's just doing scratch coding for this 11 weeks, and he's teaching kids um, fourth grade through eighth grade um, – video game coding with scratch no yeah. oh my god how and, cool and then in january he's gonna do the same thing but through python for like older kids nice yeah awesome um, okay what about your spanish classes do you have any openings or are you te- are you advertising that or yeah okay um Spanish. I love I love my I love teaching Spanish. And, well, I'm uh, signing my girls up with you, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I take a unique approach to it. Um, that you know comes from my child language classes I took at UCSD and living in other countries and uh, with a, a young child, and then um, learning about what it takes to help him keep his fluency. Yeah. Like what I really uh, came to believe is that children need other children to play with in Spanish so for kids we take a play-based approach um and we like I you know one of the benefits of having a child while studying abroad people don't realize there are benefits but there are like I was I was able to learn um you know playground rhymes and things while we were you know oh, in Argentina or in Mexico yes. or, yeah like native games oh my gosh how cool that kids teach each other on the playgrounds and so whereas like the public school who first of all waits too late anyways because foreign language high school yeah until high school yeah, exactly where all their like whereas you know at three and a half my son became fluent in less than right. six months right <laughs> um so anyways and then the other thing we do is instead of like drilling through worksheets we drill through gameplay so we get our repetition in but through you know more rich enjoyable experiences and also I feel like like I'm big on passion driven education so I think that if we can get kids to fall in love with the language they're going to follow it their whole lives and they're going to learn more and they're going to retain more right so I told my girls, um, they, they were like kind of confused. Like, what do you mean we're learning Spanish? And so we talked a lot about it because it was, it was always a dream of mine to be bilingual. Yeah. And I've just never gotten around to it. But anyways, so we've been talking about a family vacation going on a cruise as one of the things we really want to do. Like, in the, you know, we can afford it. We're kind of far away from that. But maybe, you know, in two years, save up to go. 
And um, I tell them like the first cruise I want to do is to Mexico. And so I told the girls, imagine we take our little cruise and we get off in Mexico and you can speak the language and you can order our food. And me and dad can like depend on you guys to talk to the people. And so that really yeah. got them so like, get, like much more out of the experience. Yes. It really sparked a, like, Oh wow, that's kind of cool. You know, it really, it got them really excited. Something to look forward to. Speaking you know? of, it might also motivate your girls to know, like my son and I have a travel channel and we have like videos of like, what? yeah, like we went and toured the pyramids and like cute. Yes. You told me about Mexico and- city. Yeah, yeah, Right? Your trip there, yeah. Yeah. So oh, we, how cool is that? Um, yeah. Um, that's Chrysalis Academy Adventures on YouTube. Oh, cute. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put all these in the notes. <laughs> um, how can people contact you if they are interested in Spanish classes? They can go to my website, which okay. is com. Okay, perfect. So you can see I'm all about chrysalis. I love it. <laughs> um perfect yes and and um, so the classes are on zoom correct i i do for local kids i do in-person classes and then i also okay. do zoom classes okay. and um because i have all of this footage from you know traveling around mexico so we're able to incorporate not all of it is on our on my youtube channel i have um private class private footage that i put into zoom classes oh how cool that's you know where we do lessons like we went to like for parts of the body we went to like a children's museum in mexico city and they have you know like giant noses and giant organs and what how cool yeah so we went and like oh that's um, so neat took videos of that exhibit so uh we can incorporate um yeah yeah incorporate like um tours that's really interesting. Around Mexico City into my classes. It's my fun. kids are going to be like, let's go to Mexico City, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other questions? No, I think that's, I think, I mean, we did good. We did, went over an hour, so we've been talking for a while. Is there okay. anything else you want to share or kind of advertise or anything you can think of? Like I said, for everybody listening, I'm going to put everything in, in the notes. So it'll all be there on Spotify or whatever platform you listen on. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think that's it. It was fun. It's, it's fun talking to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> You're interesting. I Thank love you. learning from you. 